Get your Bibles or your technology out. We're going to be teaching now. I know what some of you are saying right away. You're saying, hey, you forgot to receive the offering. No, we haven't. We're going to receive the offering after we teach a little bit this morning. And uh, I was kidding with first service. I said there's a scripture in there somewhere that says where two or three are gathered, an offering shall be received. So... And uh, I don't know if it, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> Some people are looking, it's in the Bible, really? No. It's right there next to, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Okay. But uh, it is important. It's a part of our worship. And it's important to be instructed on it, which is why Pastor has brought to us this series. I think it's a great series. We love giving. Come on. Don't you love giving? <laughs> giving is great. I'll tell you why. When you were born again, uh, you got a DNA transfer from God himself. In fact, the Bible says that you became a partaker of the divine nature. So in other words, there, there is within your veins uh, your father's blood. And uh, his nature is a giver. We were exhorted in that fashion. And so since he's a giver, I caught some of that DNA. Therefore, I'm a giver. And if you've caught that DNA, you are too. And so we're joyful, generous, obedient givers. Jesus himself said to his disciples, freely you have received. Now what? Freely give. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. And it's my privilege to continue the We Love Giving series with our message that's entitled The Guidelines of Generosity. The Guidelines of Generosity or Subtitled, I gave it the prerequisite of a blessed life. It's okay to be blessed. It's okay to be positioned for a blessing. And we're going to just explore that a little bit this morning. For a number of years in uh, Charleston at the Legacy Campus, uh, there was a gentleman that would come and do our pest control. His name was John. He was a transplant from Pittsburgh. And uh, he had started a pest control company. And so he had been our uh, person in this regard at the church for many, many years. And I'd see him every month, and every time he'd come in, of course, we'd interact, and we'd talk, we'd laugh, we'd share stories, he loved football. And so I got to know John pretty good. And one day we got into a discussion about church and where he went to church, and he went to a more mainline uh, church that obviously would be recognizable if I mentioned it. And uh, he just said something, it blurted out of his mouth as he was looking at me eye to eye, and he said this, he said, I, I hate that churches talk about money so much. Why do they do that? They talk about money so much. Now, I, maybe his church did, I don't know. I, I, I know at our church, I didn't think we talked about it all that much. I know I've been to Living Stones long enough to know that it's not this this every week predominant topic, but I looked at John and I said, hey, John, I mean, just in the natural, can we just talk? I mean, do you like sitting in an air-conditioned auditorium when it's 100 degrees outside? Well, yeah. How about when it's about 30 degrees outside? Do you like a warm sanctuary? Well, yeah, I like that. John, do you like it when you go to the restroom that somebody actually cleaned the commode before you got to it? Well, yeah, I like that too. 
And so I kind of went down all these, these natural list of things that you would find going to church. And I said, well, you know, all that doesn't happen out of, you know, good intention, best wishes, and a little bit of pocket change. I mean, it takes something to run a ministry. It takes something really to gather up the corporate body and to be able to enjoy certain amenities that come with being a church, being a body that's attempting uh, to do something. And so we were just sharing, and at a natural level, I, I suspect all of you know that, at a natural level. But the fact of the matter is, is that God has set up certain precepts or principles with which the natural gets met. But how many of you know there may be some natural good things that take place with how we serve the Lord, but there's always a spiritual connection that can actually open up a window of far greater blessing if we would just get the revelation of it. I think John oftentimes probably walked with the feeling that somehow or another God had a cash flow problem. Now, I know that God doesn't have a cash flow problem. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills the cattle are on. In fact, C.S. Lewis probably had the greatest quotation about the Lord when it came to his need. He said, for God to be God, he has no need. For any need that he has, he meets in himself. So when God has a need, all he has to do is just go, I have a need. Boom, it's done. Because that's just who he is. Now, it doesn't work that way with us. You know why it doesn't work that way with us. This is going to be a surprise for many. We're not God. But God has indeed provided a precept, a principle, by which if we would understand his ways in this regard, we would find out that we can position ourselves to have our needs met and for him to bless us in immeasurable ways. In fact, it's paradoxical. You know, the scripture says what? It is more blessed to give than to even receive. So there's something that happens kingdom-wise that can take place if we get a hold of these kingdom principles. And so my job today is to teach a little bit on the guidelines or even the prerequisite of our generosity. We're going to be covering the whole gamut of generosity. How many of you know we're to help, like the testimonies we've heard, we're to help people that are struggling. We're to, we're to sow into events that feed you know, needy people. We're to reach out and be a blessing. And there's so many ways that our generosity shows up. And all of these are, well, I can't say all of them, but a number of them are going to be shared with you to be a reminder. But this morning, my job is that I want you to be positioned to make sure that you're in a blessable condition that you can do all those things in immeasurable ways. How about that? Some of you really love to give. We want to see God bless you so that you can have a lot of opportunity to do exactly that. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I'm in Malachi chapter 3. Yes, we're going to be talking about tithings in Malachi chapter 3. And again, for some of you, this will just be a reminder and an encouragement. Some of you will be, I suspect, just exhorted. Others of you... You know, you've always wondered, and I had some great questions that came to me between services, and so I'm going to slip some answers in there because I thought they were really great questions as we begin to talk about this area. Malachi chapter 3, now listen, this is the Lord speaking, beginning with verse 6. We read, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. 
return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Now listen carefully. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes. Some versions will say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord. That word can actually be translated out of the Hebrew to test me, says the Lord. It's the only time in all of Scripture God looks at his people and says, you test me. You can't test him in anything else, but he says here, you can test me in this. He says, see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Again, we're going to talk about guidelines for for generosity and a prerequisite for a blessing. Now, The book of Malachi is a great book. It's the last book of the Old Testament, and it actually represents the last words the Lord will speak to his people for the next 400 years. In fact, God will go silent for four centuries. Now, if these words were to be your farewell address to your people because you're going to be silent for four centuries, might we not suppose that the Lord might have some important things to leave with us if we're going to have to live on these things for the next four centuries. And so he begins to address some issues and some problems which they face. They're varied in what they're facing. But, but really what the Lord does is, is that he, he distills the repercussions of all of these problems by summing, up, summing it up and simply saying that the reason there are these challenges that are going on in the lives of the nation of Israel and those people is because... The windows of heaven have been closed over their lives. And because the windows of heaven have been closed over their lives, what has happened is they feel fruitless, they feel frustrated, and it seems as if God doesn't care. As a matter of fact, if you'll read the book of Malachi, you'll see that the people actually begin to blame God for their problems, and the Lord says, well, I'm going to answer why they exist. And so he says to them these words, and I read them to you. He said, first, you think that I change, but I don't change. Now, is that not a contemporary issue today? We think somehow that God changes. We think somehow that he needs to get up to speed with the 21st century. I mean, in our minds, we say to ourselves, don't you know, Lord, we've grown, we've evolved, we know so much more, you need to get with the program. And God says, wait a minute, you don't get it, I don't change. That's, he says, number one. Number two, he says this. He says, you have walked away from my precepts and have not kept them. Now, is that not also a relevant issue? We've walked away from what God has said because we think he changed. Changed. He doesn't mean what he says. 
We, we, we need somehow to be re-instructed in these things. And so the Lord begins to tell them what they need to do. This is the great thing about the Lord. The Lord doesn't look at you and just let you languish, but his word here begins to tell us what these folks needed to do in order to see blessing begin to come back into their life. Now, I want you, before I get there, to notice something. Sometimes, as I study the Bible, I find it interesting not only what is said, but sometimes what is omitted. And it's interesting to me that as they're wondering what's going on and God begins to instruct them, the Lord never says, he never says, get on your knees and pray. He doesn't say that, does he? Now that would be good. He says it in other places, but he doesn't say it here. He never says, you need to start reading your Bible more. If you read your Bible more, then the windows of heaven would open up over you. That's not what he says, is it? He never says, go to temple more. Now again, you ought to read your Bible, you ought to be more faithful, and you ought to get on your knees and pray. But here's the deal. Instead of talking about those things, he looks at them and he starts talking about what they're doing with their resources. And I'm going to put this, I'm going to, going to make the leap to the 21st century in application because basically what he's doing with them is that he's talking about the tithe and how they deal with the tithe concerning their resources. Now, Jesus would say a similar thing when he shows up several centuries later because he begins to teach this. He says, where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. It's interesting how money is actually one of the indicators of how our relationship to God is going. Now, don't be mad at me that I said that because Jesus was the one that started this thing. He said, where your money is, will begin to indicate where your heart is. Interesting, if you look at people's finances, their resources, they tell a story, don't they? Our checkbooks will begin to demonstrate to us what we value, what we love, what we esteem. It's not that there aren't certain needs. I mean, we all have bills to pay, and we're we're living in either houses or apartments or somewhere. We need food to eat. Cars to drive, gas to put in the cars. Hey, we get it that we all have certain needs, but you can begin to look at a, an old checkbook register, as we used to put it, and you can begin to see what's in people's hearts just by watching where they spend their money. Now, I've been a Christian for 38 years, and I'm just going to fess up and tell you that when I first started to learn about the tithe in those early years, I was all over the map. There were days... I was on it and tithing, and then there were times the pressures of life would get to me, and somehow or another I'd finagle out of it and figure God was okay with it, and then I'd get back on top, and I was the roller coaster. I was up and down and all around those first few years of my Christian life. But I married my wife, and my wife had a revelation of this. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's really interesting about my wife's household. And if you ever hear her story, and some of you ladies that might attend Bible study have heard some of the stories Her home, in many ways, and she would attest to this, was incredibly dysfunctional. But the amazing thing about your father was this, that as dysfunctional as he was in so many areas, he had this revelation down. I mean, he had it it down. He, He was a giver, a tither. I never saw a man that was just, he was more faithful to this area. And despite numerous dysfunctionalities, which would cause your head to spin... He was always this great giver, and God, hear me, God not because of his righteousness, but God because of his obedience to a precept, 
released things to him that would boggle the mind. I mean, I mean, I always connected this stuff with how well you were living overall. But the fact of the matter is, he wasn't always doing a great job, but, but he was always the tither. He always gave over and above. He was always giving, and God would bless him incredibly. It was an amazing thing to watch. And so my wife grew up in that household, and so when we got married... She became the Holy Spirit to me. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that the Holy Spirit sometimes, guys, sounds like your wife? It's amazing how that works. But, But here, hey, listen, it was to my benefit because I'm telling you, 34 years we've been married and 34 years we have been faithful in this area and it took me a little longer. She grew up in it, so she had some of this. But for me, I had to get a hold of it and once I got a hold of it for 34 years, we've been faithful in this regard and we've seen some really amazing things that I want to just share with you this morning and you can consider it and see how God's talking to you. But I wanted to share, because there's so much confusion, it was interesting, again, to hear the questions, but, but this will be Christianity 101 for some of you, but for others of you, you've had questions and you've wondered about this area. And so I want you to keep an open heart as I just drop some nuggets into you, because ultimately, God doesn't need your money. You go ahead and keep it, because I'll guarantee you, whatever the tithe would be will get taken from you somehow, some way. Yeah, the enemy will get his tithe. Now, now, yeah, with interest, that's exactly right. So hear me when I say this. You go ahead and keep your money, because this isn't for God. This is for you, and it's for me. This is what the Lord was saying. He said, I'm not needing this stuff. I own everything. But, but you need to understand some things, because this has to deal more with you. So I'm going to just share some things. Be open to it, and I believe that a blessing can come your way. Let me, let me start with talking about what the tithe is and what the tithe is not. Let's just clear this up. What is the tithe and what is not the tithe? Now, as we get into this, let me just say that for many people, to talk about money is incredibly sensitive. It's interesting how we have so much of our life revolving around it. I mean, between our bills and our jobs and, you know, just everything in life, think about how much of it is navigated with our finances. And despite that, it's a kind of a sensitive topic to bring up. And I want to suggest to you that the reason there's sensitivity to it is because, this is just my observation, we're sensitive because we think it's ours. We think it's ours. I think for a lot of people, this is what they think. They think, hey, I work hard for my money. It's my money. I'm not giving my money away for just anything. I work for this money. I sweat for this money. You know, I fret over this money. I've got bills to pay. I've got all kinds of things. This is, this is my money, and I don't like people trying to talk me out of it. But hear me when I say this. To understand the tithe, you must first understand that if you're a Christian, Christ has laid claim to everything in your life. Your life is not your own. Now, you may be a steward of many, many things. In other words, he has given you a job. You say, the Lord didn't give me that job. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The Lord, sure enough, gave you that job, whether you realize it or not. And beyond that, who do you think gives you breath to get up in the morning to get to that job? Are you following me? He owns everything. He owns all of your life. You can't sing, he is Lord, and and somehow keep something away from him. He's Lord of all. He's not Lord of some. 
Everything is at his disposal. Everything is, 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 is before him for his claiming. If he taps it, it's his. Do you believe that? That's my first question. Do you, do you believe that when he's Lord, he owns it all? And, and if, he, if, if that's not true, then don't sing Jesus is Lord. Don't say that, please. Just be, just be integral. But if he's Lord, he's got it all. Remember, in him, in him we live and breathe and have our being. I am here, I am here by the grace of God. In a moment, this breath can go away. We heard a testimony that if it had not been for a, for a quick-minded mom and the prayers of God's people, that we would be doing a funeral this week. But there, by the grace of God, there's a 16-month-old playing in the nursery. God owns that, see? In him we live and breathe and we have our being. Now, once you understand that, then we get to the tithe, which makes more sense. So let's talk, what is the tithe? Let's just define it. The tithe, number one, is a tenth or 10% of however you're increased, however you're enlarged. The most simple explanation is this, that if, that if you're given, let's say, $1,000, you make $1,000, that $100 of that, 10% of that, is a tithe to the Lord. It's a tenth of your increase. Now, let me just stop and say that many people through the years have wanted to avoid the tithe because they said, well, tithing was Old Testament. You know, Jesus did away with the law. And that's a whole other sermon about how Jesus did away with the law. Not really and not exactly. The fact of the matter is he came to fulfill the law. I just want to throw out a couple things just to keep in mind. Tithing was going on five centuries before it's ever given to Moses to put in the Pentateuch. Abraham was tithing till Melchizedek long before the law was ever written down. Tithing is, really tithing supersedes the law. Tithing is a precept that God has put into the universe that if we practice it, that's why you can be dysfunctional and tithe and God blesses it. There are people you know that don't know the Lord, but yet they're generous people that are blessed. Why? It's not because of their life, it's because of the precept. 10% of your increase. So the tithing was going on before the law. It's reaffirmed in Hebrews, where the Hebrew writer talks about Abraham and Melchizedek. We know that Jesus tithed. You say, how do you know that Jesus tithed? Because a good Pharisee would not have had dinner. They would not have discoursed with a non-tither. And obviously, they had a lot to say, and they sat down with Jesus. In fact, is it not interesting, of all the accusations that were thrown at Jesus, the easiest one to have thrown at him would have been, hey, you don't tithe. And yet, they never accuse him of that. In fact, it's interesting that the only affirming remark that Jesus ever gives to the Pharisees, only one time do I find something affirming. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says to Pharisees, he says, woe to you. Now, this is going to be affirming, so hang on. It doesn't sound like it, but it actually is. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, for rightly you pay tithe of mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. He says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he says, it's great, I'm glad you're tithers, and that's a good thing. But he said, there's some other things over here you need to uh, look at as well. So 
Here's the deal. We can confidently say that tithing is God's idea. It's not man's idea. Some pastor didn't come up with it. It isn't a marketing scheme. It is God's idea. In fact, Jesus probably received tithes and offerings because he had to have a full-time treasurer. So we know that money was working through, resource was working through all of these areas. Number two is this. A tithe is a tenth, and a tithe is the covenant sign of God's ownership. Now, I'm not going to get into this, but it's actually a covenant sign of the storehouse you're connected to as well. You're really not connected until really tithing takes place. Now, that's a whole other sermon, and I'm sure that opened a can right there. Where man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. That's how you know where your heart is. But, but it is a covenant sign of God's ownership. Now the tithe, again, represents a number of things. But hear me, it's the way we acknowledge that the Lord owns everything we have. Now, people will oftentimes say to me, they'll say, well, pastor, God knows my heart. Whenever it starts with God knows my heart, it's usually a non-tither. God knows my heart. Okay, I believe that. I won't challenge you on that. God knows your heart. But here's the deal. The reason the tithe exists is not because God doesn't know your heart. It's whether or not you know your heart. He knows exactly what's in there. The question is, do you really know what's in there? Tithing answers the question as to who really owns it all. Because if, if, if you're shaking, if you're not wanting, you're instantly saying, I'm not really sure God's got me in this. That is why technically, hear me, and, and you know me, I'm this teacher, so I got this, I got this precision issue in my brain. We don't, we don't give the tithe. We return the tithe. Following? See, you think, you think you're giving it to God. You're not giving anything. You're just returning that which he owns everything, and he could call it all due if he wanted to. Uh, when we were in uh, Charleston, this is years ago. I'm going to tell a story a little later about building a home. But while we were in this construction phase, we had some just wonderful people who offered to us as, as we were waiting for a home to be finally built. It wasn't built as quickly as we thought it would be, and so we had about six to eight weeks that we had to find somewhere to live. We were, we were homeless. And uh, they offered their, their home. They had, a, they had a little summer abode on Kiowa Island there. In, uh, in the Charleston area. If you don't know what Kiowa is, just go look it up on Wikipedia and it just, it'll pop up with dollar signs because Kiowa is like the place where people from all over the globe come and they, they give, you know, put their summer homes up. You know, some are 10, 12, 14 million dollar summer homes that they only live in for a couple weeks a year. You know, is that not incredible? And think about that. The wealth of the wicked is being stored up for the righteous. Of course, the righteous will never see it until they step into some precept. But anyway, we got to stay at this home. Now, it wasn't a $10 million home, but it, it was over, it was a million and a half at the time. It's probably three or four million dollars today. And so we got to stay in this house, and it was at our disposal because it was like a summer home and they weren't there, and so it was at our disposal. Now, I'm going to embellish this illustration a little bit. We really stayed at this really nice home, but, but it wasn't our home, but we were allowed to access it and treat it as if it was our home. And so here we are living in this incredible house and, uh, I mean, it had, you know, three-car garage, nice vehicles inside of there. Now, imagine, we've landed, and so we're literally stewards of this house. 
in this time period. But, but imagine with me for just a moment what would happen if, if the owner were to come back and say, hey, Kevin, like right in the middle of our stay, Kevin, I, I know you got to stay here this whole time, but honestly, I'm needing to get to one of my vehicles in the garage because I'm needing to run some errands, and so I, got, I have to get to one of those vehicles. And what would, it, what would you think if I were to look at the person and say, no, I put gas in that vehicle. I washed that vehicle the other day. I had to do an oil change because I was driving this vehicle so much. I put a lot of energy and effort into that vehicle. In fact, that's my vehicle. You can't drive my vehicle. Now, do you understand where this is going? All he wants is the vehicle. I don't have to vacate the house. I don't have to give up the pool. I don't have to, you know, all the amenities. I get to keep the tennis courts. I get all this. But I'm not giving up my vehicle. Can you, can you imagine that? Now, now, but let's just imagine this. What if I were to do this instead? What if I were to say, you need the car? Well, out of the generosity of my heart, drive the car. <laughs> you know why you're laughing. It's because you're saying you're not being generous. It's his car. Exactly. I'm dealing with the generosity theme here because there are ways that we are indeed generous and, and, and we're going to cover generosity and it's in our heart. But listen, when it comes to the tithe, when you return the tithe, you're not being generous. You're being obedient because you're returning something that wasn't yours to begin with in order to indicate everything you have is really his that he gets to let you keep. The Lord increases you with his resource. You demonstrate your heart condition by returning the tithe. It is literally the sign in your life that says this. In fact, we'll do this in just a moment. You'll pull your tithe out. You're literally saying this. God is my source. God's my source. It's not just something I say. It's not just some trite Christian saying that we look at each other and we say during fellowship time, oh, no, 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 no. This is how real I believe God is my source. There you go, Lord. I'm returning 10%. It's all yours. But I'm returning what you asked to demonstrate my heart. Now, that's what the tithe is. Let's talk about what it's not, which may be as important. The tithe, number one, is not a synonym for any offering, any gift, or any act of generosity. Now, the tithe, unfortunately, through the years, has become sort of redefined. You know, the culture redefines what love is, right? The culture thinks love is enabling anybody, any sin at any time. And if you don't enable them, you're not being loving. The culture has redefined grace. The culture has redefined tolerance and acceptance. So the culture is a master at redefining things. Unfortunately, we redefine sometimes in the church, and the tithe is one of them. Some redefine the tithe as to signifying any time they give any amount of money. It's It's my tithe. I was... A custodian, you've heard some of those stories of being a custodian. I was in a conversation with a principal one time, and we were talking about 
you know, the Lord, church, things, and, and, and he just gave me the information. He said, well, I want you to know that I tithe 7%. Well, I'm, you know, you're always glad somebody gives, and I'm glad it's 7%, but, but listen to me, there's no such thing as a 7% tithe. It's like saying there's a three-cup gallon. <laughs> Try doing that in a recipe. When you, when you need one cup, when you need one cup of an, an ingredient in order to get the cake, but you decide that, that your cup is only a quarter cup. How many realize that you're not gonna get the same cake if you cook that way? Listen, you're not gonna get the same results if you treat God that way. God has set up a precept, a pattern, a 7% tithe. I'm glad you do 7%. I'm glad there's a, a generosity in your heart, but hear me when we say this. That's not the tithe. So, so it won't produce the benefits, and I'm answering some questions now that was given to me. It won't produce all the benefits. Now, hear me. I'll have people come up to me and say, well, God still blesses me, and I don't tithe. No, that's his sovereign mercy. God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy on. And he does it all the time, on the saint and the sinner. He'll do merciful things upon them. So will he help you? Yes. Will he, will he, will he rescue you? Yes. I'm not saying God. amazing thing about God is, is that he doesn't carry an offense, a grudge, or anything else. He doesn't look at you and go, no tither here. I'm not doing anything for them. No, God says they've cried out. I love them. I'm going to help them. And so sovereignly, mercifully, he will do something. But hear me, just because he sovereignly does something does not mean you're positioned for blessing. There's a difference. That's number one. Number two is this. The tithe is not a self-evaluated act of service. Now, what does that mean? Well, I've had people say, well, you know, I, I tithe, but I tithe in different ways. I, I volunteer. Really? Well, if we volunteer. I'm just saying, Dr. Ron, if I pick up a Kleenex, a, a communion cup, that's a thousand bucks. That's how I evaluate my services. I personally think this is about a $10,000 sermon. So I think tithe-wise, I'm covered for the rest of the year. Are, are you seeing? I, I am self-determining what I believe my services are worth in order to justify what God says. No, you can't do that. You don't know what your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why it doesn't matter whether you're poor or whether you're rich. It doesn't matter whether you make $100 a week or you make $10,000 a week. This is pretty simple. Just move a decimal point, and that's what God says, how you indicate whether he owns it all. Number three, the tithe is not designated giving or offering. See, the tithe is returning to God what is his already. We don't control the tithe. When you loose the tithe, when you return the tithe, you're actually releasing it as unto the Lord. Now, let's go back to my car illustration. Didn't you like that car illustration? Let's go back to the car illustration. How about the owner comes and asks for the car? So, I magnanimously return the car to him, and then I say, here, there's the car. You own it all, but here's the car. But you can only drive it where I direct you. Now, if you want to go down to the beach, uh-uh. If you want to go somewhere else, we'll talk about it. Are you following me? Are you getting the illustration? 
We're not directing what is already got. Now, there'll be, there'll be, believe me, there are going to be lots of opportunity to give offerings that you can choose. You can direct all kinds of offerings all different ways. We had one presented to us today. I hope some of you take advantage of that. There are other things that we can sow our offerings into. And, and you can direct it as God leads you. But the tithe is released without control to the storehouse. And the storehouse, through its leadership, oversees the use of that tithe in order to fulfill the vision that God has called it to. Now, some people have said, well, I don't, well, I don't trust them with the money. Hear me when I say this. Then why in the world do you let us preach to you? I mean, if you can't trust us with a few bucks, my goodness, why would you trust us with eternal things? Now, this is the point that people say oftentimes to me. Now, I'm getting to the good stuff here. I'm still not to the good stuff yet. They say to me, well, pastor, have mercy between the tithe and all the other offerings that will be taken. It sounds like most of my resources are going to be targeted for kingdom purpose. Yes! You got it! That's it. Everything is his. It may not mean that everything is funneled through the local church. No, we help people in all sorts of different ways. The storehouse receives the tithe, but there are all sorts of other ways that we can give. And listen to me when I say this. His promise is that he will bless us, that we're going to actually get to enjoy life. That we're going to be able to live in something that's nice. And, and, and we're not saying that you have to have four houses, you know, all over America or, you know, driveways full of cars. But I believe that God wants you to get from A to B with four wheels underneath you. So I believe cars are okay. I believe houses are okay. Listen, we get to enjoy life along the way. That's why, though, we as leadership, I can promise you, I've heard it with my own ears, pray that you as a people would be mega blessed. We want you to receive raises. We want you to receive bonuses. I'm glad for that 8% raise. Oh God, give them 16% next year. Raise, raises, 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 raises. Don't be embarrassed. Why? Because the wealth of the wicked is being stored up for the righteous and I can deal with that money better than any wicked person could. He can get it, if he can get it to me, he can get it through me. But we pray that way. We want you to be blessed. Just like a parent wants their children to prosper and get ahead. We're not looking to take anything from you. We don't want to take from you. We want you to be blessed so you can be this giver that never has to worry about any lack. That's how we pray. We want God to enlarge you and enlarge you. Why? Because there's a global vision here that's going to take resource to accomplish it. Hey, I'll just say it for Dr. Ron. Millionaires, come forth. Come on. Businesses grow. Increase, come. Because if God blesses you, it can get through you in order to accomplish the greater vision. Nations to be reached. America needs to be changed. We shouldn't have resource questions. We have resource in order to accomplish the, the, the vision. But let me give you the revelation now, and i got to end with this. And I'm going to go through. These are like five quick things, and I do mean quick. These are things we have learned along the way, and I'm answering some questions. Number one is this. The tithe should always be prompt. What do I mean by that? I mean don't be slow. You'll reap slow. What a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I, I'm not slow with God. 
When I get paid, I sit down, my wife will tell you, I'm either writing out the check or I'm going online. And I'm just, I'm getting it out of my hands quickly. If I'm prompt, then you know what? God will be prompt with me. If I sow tardiness, some people wonder, where's God at? He's just, he always seems to be late. I just ask you, do you sow promptness? That's what God showed us. We are prompt in the tithe. Before I came to church today, my, my daughter Kaylin is with us this summer, and she, she said, Dad, I know what you're preaching on this morning. It's on the tithe, and I want you to know I got online, and I got my tithe in, so I don't have to feel guilty this morning. Some of you parents, I'm going to help your parenting. Are you teaching your kids what it means to tithe? If you give them an allowance, I teach them. If you, if you give them 50 cents, you need to find a way to make sure there's some nickels in there. You need to help them. What, you're, not help, you're not helping them by them not knowing how to do this, or they'll end up in the struggle most of us were in to even enter it. My children understood tithing from the moment they got an allowance. We still help them with their paychecks. We'll still ask them, hey, have you honored God? And, it, and most of the time they'll say yes. Every now and then they'll go, oh. I said, yeah, you better get on it now. Come on. Open heaven. Teach your children. Be prompt. Number two is this. The tithe is released first. The Lord is first. Now, this is one thing I hate, but I can't change. The government always gets its money before I ever get my paycheck. That really frustrates me because what the government is saying, and we all know this, is that they they stand over everybody, everything, and they're going to get theirs no matter what. But, I, but I, I'll just share with you that God is over government, he's over Social Security, he's over Medicare, he's over my 401k, he's over all the different uh, federal tax, state tax, county tax, 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 tax. Listen, I'm here to tell you, God, that's why when I look at my check, I look at the gross, because God prospered me and all of that, that's what my tithe reflects. That's what it reflects, and it's released first, long before... Uh, Nipsco gets its electric bill long before the water bill because they're not my source. My mortgage company is not my source. The car loan company is not my source. These people are not my source. God is my source. So I don't honor them first. I honor him first. And that's how I release it. I release it for, I'm, I, it sounds legalistic for me. It's revelational. I sit down and I do it at that moment. Been doing it that way for years. Now, if you want to hear something really crazy, let's go to number three. The tithe must be complete. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. I remember the Lord talked to us. It was through a message a guy gave one time. And he asked the question, and it was this, how how does the Lord enlarge you? Do you think he only enlarges you through your job? Do you really believe that? Well, no. You know what he enlarges me through? Whenever it's my birthday, I get all these gift cards. I mean, I got one birthday, I think I had $500 worth of gift cards, and this was revelation to me, and it was enlarging me. I was going to go get to buy all this stuff with these gift cards, and sure, it was a blessing, but the fact of the matter is, I was still increased and I was enlarged, and so the Lord began to show me that I needed to tithe off my enlargement. So anytime I was getting blessed, I would add it up in my mind what the market value is, and then I would have to tithe on it. Now hear me. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28 that if you obey the voice of the Lord thy God and seek diligently to do all that he commands, that the blessing will not only come upon you, but it will overtake you. I don't know about you, but I would love to live in the overtaking blessing. Now, I can tell you through the years this doesn't happen all the time, but when I began to do that, the Lord began to give me bigger blessings. 
Now, this was an older car, but somebody gave me, I'm just going to tell the story, somebody gave me a Mercedes. Now, it was older. It wasn't brand new, but it was a Mercedes. I mean, that's, that's not slouchy. But, it, but there I was looking at this Mercedes, and I have this revelation, and I'm going, Lord Jesus, please, i got to tithe on this thing now. So I had to figure out what it was worth, and then I had to, t- now here's the deal. There are some people who say, well, I would never do that. Well, then you won't ever have to worry about getting a car, will you? No, I mean, I, I, this, is, this is our life. I mean, we are not opulent people. We live very middle-class lives. This doesn't happen every week. We've been doing this for 34 years. I'm not suggesting if you start tithing today that someone's going to give you a Mercedes next week. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that our household has been positioned for 34 years for those type of moments. I mean, some of you are, are gun owners. Some of you probably don't like guns, and I don't know what to say about that, except that I had someone give me a really Mac Daddy gun that was probably $1,000. And so I get it, and I really thought it was a cool gun. I'm going, wow, this is great. And then it hits me. I got a tithe on this thing. Now, at first it was like, well, it doesn't seem right. i got to scramble up and find money in order to... T- Listen, no, 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 no. The blessing's starting to overtake me. I want to be complete on this. I'm complete. Yeah, I know it sounds silly. It might even sound legalistic to you, but we live this way, and it's become revelational to us. Because, Lord, keep increasing me, because if you'll get it to me, I promise you, you can get it through me. And, and hear me when I say this. If you can't do, if you can't do $1 on 10... Because some people will say this. They'll say, well, when I make more money, then I'll be able to tithe. Hear me. If you can't do one on ten, when you get $100,000, you will never write that 10K check. No, you won't. You think you will? No, you won't. I, how do I know you won't? Because I already know your heart. I already got it. You may not get it, but I've got it right there. God's got it too. That's what he's trying to show you. He's saying, I'm saying I can give you even more than this. And so we just keep completing, and I know it's crazy. We, get, we, we, had a, we had a grocery pounding, and people brought over groceries, and I'm counting beans out of the thing going, oh, well, that's an 89-cent can of bean, and that's, I know, but I was increased. Let that revelation sink in you this morning. And then number four, tithing positions you for future blessing. The Lord says, see if I will not open. I will not open. It's future. Will I not open for you the windows of heaven? So we're positioning. Today's the day to be positioned. And then finally, number five, the tithe breaks the curse off your resources. Jesus said that your money has a spirit on it. And the spirit's name is mammon. And I will define for you what the spirit of mammon is. The spirit of mammon is the spirit of evaporation. Mammon, the enemy, wants to soak you dry. Mammon, mammon takes 100% of your resource and it finds ways. As, I mean, do not all of us at some time say, where does all my money go? Where's it all going to? I don't even know where it's all going. It just seems to evaporate. Listen, when he talks about taking the curse off, this is what I believe is that the tithe, literally the tithe presented breaks the spirit of mammon off my money. Therefore, 90% is increased to do more than the 100% will do as it's being evaporated. That's the supernatural part of this whole deal. If you sit down and you begin to do your you know, monthly budget, 
All of us have done this. We'll do our monthly budget and we say, I can't afford to tithe. Test the Lord, he says in this, and if you'll just do it, what you'll find out is what doesn't work at the end of a pencil supernaturally gets increased in order that 90% will suddenly meet what 100% used to meet. Now, test him in this. I can't make you. Nobody named Guido is going to come to your door with sunglasses and a leather coat and say, did you tie this week? This is you. But God sends the dare out. Test him. I've had people ask me before. They said, well, Pastor, how do I get started? I feel like I'm in a position that it's just really hard. If you knew my story and my position, it's really, really hard. This is hard. And I, I understand that. I was there too. I was there when there didn't seem to be enough, and I didn't know how bills were going to get paid. I get it. We all get it. And people ask, how do I get into this? Hear me. Hear me. Again, if you can't do one on ten, ten on a hundred, when God sends you a hundred thousand, you'll never be able to write that check. We were, in 1997, I told you the story, we were building a home. It was very expensive to live in Charleston. And these numbers might sound large to some of you, but just to find just a mediocre house in that, in that real estate climate was really, really super challenging. And so we ended up building one, but the only way we were able to build it was we could call in a few favors here and there, and we were able to construct a house, calling in favors, doing some work ourselves for $200,000. Now, that's still a lot of money, but it wasn't that much money in that particular housing market. But our house got built. We got into the house. We were finally glad to be there, and so we'd, we'd been living in it approximately 13 months. In fact, I remember it was 13 months. And suddenly, there was a knock at our door. My wife's here. She'll testify to it with God as my witness. There was a knock, and there was a guy that came to our door unsolicited and said, we've been looking around for housing. This is a difficult market to find housing. We saw your house. We want to buy your house. Now, first off, you know, I'm not even believing him. It's like, where are the cameras? I mean, is this some show? This was before reality show, so I don't know. But I didn't really believe him. And he said, no, we're, we're from the north. We're from New Jersey. We're going to make a cash deal. Uh, and so we want to buy your house. And, I, and so kind of flippantly, because you never believe this stuff. So flippantly, I just said, okay, well, like, what do you want? For, what are you going to pay me for it? He said, we'll pay cash right now $350,000. Now, I'm telling you the numbers because I just want to catch your attention. 200K, 13 months later, 350, that's an increase of what? 150, right? Some people haven't got their calculators out. Okay, $150,000. I looked at him and said, you serious? He said, I'm serious. I said, well, if you'll put 25K in earnest money and, and put out the contract, we'll do the deal right now. And he had it, he did it, and we closed it. And I got a check handed to me for $150,000 because I was increased, right? That's $150,000 I never had before. And I had to pull out my checkbook. And I had to write a check, 15000.00. It was, it was a little wavy because my hand was shaking. <laughs> hey, it's hard to write a 15K check. It was hard to do that. But hear me when I say this. I could tell you stories all morning 
And again, we're just ordinary people. We, we don't live opulently. In fact, I've, I've swept out my bank account more times for kingdom purposes than I can count. We've swept it out, swept out retirement accounts. Why is that? It's because it's not mine. It's just not mine. If God says that's now, I'm calling for it, then the question is, do I trust you or not? And the fact of the matter is I can trust him because, you see, there's an open heaven. When I go to God, I I, I can go to God and say, Lord, you've watched me for 34 years. It's all yours. You can call it all in any time you want, but I have a need now, and I need you to help me. And without fail, he's helped meet that need. But hear me now. You, you can amen me on that, 50, but I couldn't write that 15K check if I wasn't writing the $10 checks off that $100 that I got when we first got married. It was setting in motion what I could do that moment when God finally said, well, son, it looks like I can trust you now. You've been faithful in that which is lesser, so now I'll give you that which is greater. And he could count on it. Hear me. People have asked, I want to get there. I don't think anybody in this room, I don't believe this for a moment, that there's anybody in this room that would stand up and say, ha, not me, I'm greedy. Yeah, I'm a believer, but I'm a greedy believer. I don't believe there's really anybody, I think, in that, because if, if the Lord's DNA is in you, there's something in your heart that pounds that says, boy, would I love to do something like that sometime in my life. Am I, am I talking to anybody out there? Is there something in you that sometime in your life you would like to stroke off a check with a lot of zeros on it and say, here you go, in the name of Jesus? I believe there are a lot of people like that, but hear me. People ask, how do you get into this? This is it and I'm done. And then we're going to receive an offering. I have two sons. I've never really watched my daughter. I'd put her in this illustration, but I haven't really watched her in this, but I remember the two boys. I had two boys that when they got into a swimming pool, They did it in two different ways. The first one did it this way. Let's go. And they just make their way down the steps. It was. It it looked like they were being tortured. They go. Ooh, ooh. It's like they wanted to be in the pool, but it was torturing them to get in the pool. Ooh. Until finally, they'd get to the bottom and they go. And they hop around, you know, and, and they, but I had another son that when he got to the swimming pool, he just got on the edge and he just, he just dove in. Now hear me when I say this, this is what people do. And again, I'm compassionate, but this is how people sometimes get into the deep water when it comes to tithing. They'll go like this, 5%, ooh, 5%, 5%. I really, want, I really want that. I'm going to get to 10. Okay, bear with me, Pastor. I'll get there. Five. Oh, but five. Oh, five. Oh. This is cold. Five is cold. Okay. I'm getting used to my five now. Who? Seven. Seven. Oh, seven. Oh, seven. Hallelujah. It's killing them all the way. Absolutely. Until finally, 10, 10, oh, 10, 10, 10. And here, listen to me. Just dive into the tithe. Just dive into the tithe. Just dive into it. Test me, says the Lord. 
Test me and see if I will not do this. 